Awesome. Good morning, H2 Church. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Love to hear it. Um, super great to be here with all of you guys. Super great to see all of you. Happy spring, right? Um, we've, we've officially crossed into spring on our calendar uh, since last time we've been here together, which is super exciting. Uh, I like flowers. I like grass. I like the sun. I like baseball. Uh, so I like spring um, because of that. Um, if you don't know already, my name's Trevor. Uh, I'm on staff here at H2O Church Cincinnati, and I'm going to be bringing the word to you here, uh, here this morning. And in case you need a quick refresher, um, because I know, I know some of you, this is the first time you've been back here uh, since spring break, so it's been a little bit. Um, so in case you do need a quick refresher, or if you're new, new with us here today, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Kingdom Culture, where each week uh, we're really talking about and looking at what, what kind of life that we are called to live as citizens of heaven. Right? As children of God, as Christians, that, that's one of our titles, citizens of heaven. Okay? Um, so in this uh, Kingdom Culture sermon series, we're really looking at what the, what the values and what the ethics of the eternal kingdom of God are. Because right? if, if we are citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, right, we, need to, we need to be walking in the values and the ethics of the kingdom of God. All right? Uh, and the culture that's present in our world today is actually filled with so many things that, that are opposing to the kingdom of God and, and the values and the ethics of the kingdom of God. Right? So we're doing this, this sermon series to really reestablish and to really refine what those values and what those ethics are. Okay? And it's been, been an awesome time. Uh, so far in this sermon series, we've talked about things like rest in a culture of busyness, unity in a culture of division, commitment in a culture of non-commitment, Discipline in a culture of laziness, purity in a culture of, sex, culture of sexual exploration, uh, and, and other things as well. This morning, we're going to be talking about love in a culture of selfishness. Okay? Love in a culture of selfishness. And if you know anything at all about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you know that he was a man of love. Right? that he taught about love, and that he calls his followers to a life of love. Uh, and in addition to that, the idea of love in general is probably not an entirely new concept to any of you this morning. But I want to really encourage all of you to not tune me out and to not simply check out during this sermon here this morning. Because um, in our time together here this morning, I hope to significantly deepen your understanding of the call to love that we've been given by Jesus and to challenge you to really walk in the kind of love that Jesus was talking about when he gave us the command, okay? Um, and, and if we aren't careful, I think that sometimes we can get almost too familiar uh, and too comfortable with concepts that, we're, that, we, that we know, right? To the point where, where, where we don't, we're not quite as watchful on it anymore, right? We don't, um, we, we don't kind of uh, look, at, look at our life in, in a sober-minded way, right? But the thing is, love is so important that I don't, think, I don't think it's this thing we should get just super familiar with or super comfortable with, right? But to continue to think about, am I walking in this, right? Uh, just because of how essential it is, okay? Um, so I encourage you to really, really stick with me here. Um, really open your hearts, open your minds, uh, and let's, let's grow in love together here this morning. Um, before we dive in, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. You know, really acknowledging his presence, welcoming his presence here with us, uh, and calling on the Spirit of God to move in power. All right. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, we just thank you. 
God, for everything that you are. God, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you, God, for the church. And God, we just thank you for you and everything that you are. God, this morning's about you. It's not about H2O. It's not about me. It's not about any of us here. God, it's all about you. Jesus, it's about you. And God, I pray that that would be the heart posture of all of us here this morning. And Father God, I just pray you would just pour out your Holy Spirit in this place. Onto me and into me. And onto all these people and into them as well. Lord, you'd be honored and glorified and pleased in this time. And God, it would be you speaking through me. Lord, all to your glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, We're going to just hit the ground running. All right. As Christians, we have been commanded by Jesus to love. All right. The call from Jesus to love is not just an optional suggestion for us to consider or to just keep in mind. It's a command. As Christians, we've been commanded by Jesus to love, and we are to wholeheartedly obey Jesus in this, whether we feel like it or not, whether we want to or not, and whether we feel like we're capable of or not. This is something we're to wholeheartedly obey. Uh, And to show you that this is something that we have been commanded in, in John 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So right here in these couple of verses from John 13, we clearly see that this is something that we have been commanded of, right? This command to love. We find another one of God's commands to love in chapter 3 of the book of 1 John, where God's word says, and this is God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And as I mentioned just moments ago when I was talking about the, the familiarity and, and, and comfort thing, right, this scripture right here from 1 John 3, 23, like, like this, like, can I, these are like the pillars right here, right? What, what, what does God want of you? To believe in his son for salvation and to walk in love, right? Like these, these are the pillars. And, and there's, of course, so much more that goes into that, right? But these are such huge pillars. Right? And I don't think in either of these things, you're like, oh yeah, I got that. You don't have, to, don't have to grow in that. Don't have to learn about that. But having this humility to continue to press into this. Okay? Um, in addition to this, when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, he responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So from all three of these scriptures and from plenty of other scriptures throughout God's word, it's abundantly clear to see that we have been commanded by Jesus to love. And that's important for us to know and to remember. And in addition to that, Jesus himself and the New Testament writers all emphasize the huge and the central importance of love as well. A number of different times and a number of different places throughout the New Testament. And this is actually why Jesus has commanded this of us. Not just because like, he's out there and he, oh, I, can, I can command you to do whatever I want to do. So I'm going to command you to do that and I'm going to command you to do that. Jesus commanded this of us because of how important it is. Okay? It's so, so, and we're going to get into that more uh, as we go throughout the sermon. Uh, but one of these places that's just so moving to me is the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. that, that talks about the importance of love. It's the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here in this passage, the Apostle Paul mentions some pretty powerful things in the Christian faith. Right? Speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, divine knowledge, a faith that can move mountains, radical generosity, and even martyrdom. But he says that if he does not have love, he has nothing. If he does not have love, he is nothing. If he does not have love, none of that matters. Love is massively important. And because of that, we have been commanded to walk in it. Now, the word love is used and thrown around in our modern, modern culture so much. Right? Two people who, who are in a romantic relationship may tell each other that they, that they love each other. People can choose to love a text message they, that they receive on their iPhone. The slogan for McDonald's for years has been, I'm loving it. I might say that I love apple pie and ice cream or chicken tiki masala from a deep India. Amen. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, uh, And we can list off so many other uh, examples of how the word love is used and thrown around in our culture. And because of this, because of how much the word love is used and thrown around in our culture, it has honestly been stripped of the depth of its meaning in so many ways. The word love has actually become a very unclear, unspecific, and broad term in our English language. And this leads us to an important question to ask. The question is this, what did Jesus mean by the word love when he commanded us to love? Like how I love apple pie? You know, what, what, what 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 did Jesus mean? He said this, Um, And this is a super important question for us to ask and to answer because we want to truly walk in step with Jesus and truly obey Jesus. Not just throw our 21st century rendition on the biblical command and call it good. Um, So what did Jesus mean? And finding the answer to this question actually isn't as difficult as one might think. Um, To find the answer to this question, we simply just need to go back to the original language that the New Testament was written in, which is Koine Greek. Uh, and Bible study software platforms like the Blue Letter Bible, Logos, and eSword LT, these, all three of those things, um, these are, you can find these uh, online. There are also apps you can download on your phone. Um, all, all, all three of these platforms make it very easy uh, to go and to, to look at the original Greek language of the New Testament and to actually look at the definition of the Greek words. So in this, we, we can see exactly what was being said. And something that's so cool, this isn't in my notes, and I'm going to try and stay, stay on, on, on task. It is amazing what God has done. When you actually think about um, the language that Jesus spoke in and the language that the New Testament was written in, they are both. So, so Jesus spoke in uh, Aramaic, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, and all, really, all, all three of those languages are so detailed, so clear, and so specific. And I think that God was very intentional in this to not... To not give us any kind of confusion and so that we wouldn't be left in the dark. But rather, there's such detailed languages where we can see exactly what God has asked of us. And that's just, that's such a grace of his, right? He could have have chosen a language that was super broad, super general. We're like, I don't know. What what did he mean? But rather, we have these languages that are very specific, which is so good. Um, when When we look into the Koine Greek language, we see that they actually had four different 
words for love that each specified a specific kind of love. And all four of these Greek words get translated to love. Right? Um, and just as a quick side note, even in the Hebrew, in, in the Psalms, there are eight words for praise that get translated to praise. That's it. Like we, we lose so much depth, right? But when we go back to the rich, like we gain, we gain the depth again, which is amazing. Um, and these are the four Greek loves. Eros, storge, filio, and agape. Uh, and as I just said, each of these four Greek, uh, Greek words specify a specific kind of love. Eros is a, is a passionate and a romantic love. Storge is a family love, like the love that a parent has for its child or uh, a love that siblings have between each other. Filio is a friendship love and agape is the love of God, which is also the highest form of love that there is. And when we dig into the scriptures in which we have been commanded by God to love, we see that it is almost always the Greek word agape, or its verb tense, agapeo. So agape love is the kind of love that Jesus has called us to and commanded of us as his followers. He's, he's, he's called us to walk in and to show the highest form of love that exists. Um, and when we see in the Bible that we've been commanded by Jesus to love others, we don't get to decide on what kind of love it is that we show because Jesus has already decided it for us. Jesus has already declared it for us. Okay? And Jesus has not only commanded us to love with agape love, and he not only taught about agape love, Jesus also was and is the perfect example and perfect standard of what agape love is as well. So to understand what agape love is, we need to look to and study the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus, right? We don't need to go find the, the Koine Greek dictionary and, you know, try and find it, right? We need to go and we need to look at the person of Jesus, right? Because he's the perfect example and perfect standard. And when we look to and when we study the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we see that agape love is always all of these things that you're about to see. That it's unconditional. That it's sacrificial. It's active. It's personal. It's merciful. It's patient. It's kind. It's compassionate. It's tender. It's committed. It's selfless, it's faithful, it's giving, it's forgiving, it's great and abounding, it's humble, it's gentle, it's edifying. Edifying just means it builds others up. It's initiative, initiating. Um, all these things, this is what agape love is. It's so deep. And from this list of the characteristics of agape love, you can probably start to see that this call to love is a high and a costly call from Jesus but we can't shy away from it. In response to this, someone, uh, someone may say something like, well, you know, that's the kind of love that we see in the person and the life of Jesus, but Jesus was God. So there's no way that he expects me to do the same since I'm not God, since I'm just a human. But the scriptures make it abundantly clear that this is the kind of love that Jesus has called us to and commanded of us as Christians. In 1 John 2, 6, God's word says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Right? following in Jesus' footsteps. So yes, this is the love of Jesus, but this is also to be our love as well. Right. And, and friends, be encouraged by this as well. Jesus never commands us to do anything that we are incapable of doing 
by the help and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus never commands you to do anything that you are incapable of doing by the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have enough time this morning uh, to study all these different characteristics of agape love, but I do want to take a deeper dive into just a few of these characteristics of agape love that we see from Jesus and that we're called to live in. The first characteristic of agape love that I want us to take a deeper dive into this morning is unconditional. Agape love is unconditional love. This means that there are no conditions when it comes to our love and loving others. It means that there are no barriers and no prerequisites when it comes to our love for people. No barriers, no conditions. Agape love is a love that is extended to and given to all people, no matter what, with no conditions. By show of hands, how many of you here are fans of amusement parks? Like Kings Island, Cedar Point, Universal, that kind of stuff? Okay, nice. Um, I, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we're big fans of amusement parks as well. And there have been a handful of times in my life where I've been at an amusement park and I've see, seen a kid get in line to ride a certain ride. But when the kid got to the front of the line, they didn't meet the height requirement for the ride. And the kid had to be turned away. They had to be denied from enjoying the ride. And that specific circumstance at the amusement park is for the protection of the kid. So it's not a bad thing at all. But that kind of rejection or denial of someone based on something about them is not and cannot be present in our agape love. Agape love is unconditional. And Romans 5.8 in God's word says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And from this scripture, we see that God demonstrated unconditional agape love to us by sending his son to earth to suffer and to die for us while we were still sinners. We have been given unconditional agape love. We didn't deserve God's love and God's kindness and God's mercy and God's faithfulness at all, but God chose to love us with unconditional agape love. And now we are to do the same. Up on the screens behind me, actually uh, see a list of some common conditions that people use when it comes to loving others. And uh, and I've kind of made this point clear of unconditional love, but I'm showing showing you this to simply emphasize the fact that none of these things, even these specific things, are to be conditions. Agape love transcends and looks past any and all of these things. The first is race, religion, ethnicity, spoken language, or cultural tendencies. People in America will so often operate in conditional love based on the fact that another person or a group of people may look different than them, speak different from them, or act different from them. And that is wicked and wrong and sinful. Agape love is unconditional, and it transcends all of that. Jesus wasn't white, right? It looks past all of that. Next, salvation status. Whether someone is a Christian or not. We are to love those who are far from Christ and those who are near to Christ. Those who are near to Christ and those who are far from Christ. Both. In Galatians 6.10, God's word says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I share this specific scripture with you for two reasons. One, to point out uh, that the scriptures do exhort us to love each other as Christians. 
this fallen and this corrupt world is against us as Christians in a lot of ways. And because of that, we should be actively and intentionally loving each other as Christians to support each other and encourage each other and help each other as we walk through this life together and follow Jesus together. We have this call of outreach and evangelism and representing Christ to the world. And, and, and many of you know that I'm very passionate about that, and I do that often, right? So I'm not speaking against that at all. But something we do need to remember is, is to not forget each other as well, to love each other, to care for each other, to sacrifice for each other, to build each other up, okay? And to have this balance, to not just stay in our Christian circles, but also not to neglect each other, right? And I also share this scripture from Galatians 6.10 with you um, to point out that what I just said, that we aren't supposed to just stay inside our Christian bubbles. The scripture says, you know, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, but before that it says all people, right? Doing good and loving all people, okay? So it doesn't matter what someone's salvation status is, whether they're a Christian or not. They are to be loved the same. Next, Enmity, animosity, or hostility. Um, this is these words and those kind of um, uncommon words. Uh, is just talking about like your enemies, en- enemies that you have. Yeah. Um, and I just really w- just want to read aloud what Jesus says about this because he just, he just says this so much better than I ever could. It's Luke Luke six twenty seven to thirty six, where Jesus says, "But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies." Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love to those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful loving our enemies, and actively doing good to them. No conditions to our love. No matter who a person is, what a person is like, what decisions a person has made or is making, what a person may do to us or say to us, how a person may treat us, how a person may respond to us, how a person may talk about us, and how different a person may be from us, we are to love them with agape love, seeking nothing but their good. And, and hear this too. Uh, I think it's just very, very powerful. In, in our unconditional love, you're gonna, you'll probably love people and they won't be moved by it at all. They won't receive it at all. They won't reciprocate it at all. And they'll blow it off, right? But in that, even when they don't see it and they don't appreciate it and they're not moved by it, God sees it. God appreciates it and God is moved by it. And no one can, def- can deprive you of that most. Okay, so walk, walk confidently in, in unconditional love in that. Right. Unconditional love to all people. 
And we may not always feel like loving a particular person or a group of people or a certain kind of person. And that brings me to the next characteristic of agape love that I want to dive into with all of you. Agape love is a love that is not based on a feeling or emotions. It's not based on feeling or emotions. Agape love is an intentional choice of the will, as in free will. It's an intentional choice of the will, an active choice, an active decision that is made, regardless of what you may be feeling or not be feeling. And there may be someone that I'm frustrated with or annoyed by or irked by or distant from or hurt by or insulted by or something else like that. But in agape love, I make the active choice and the active decision to love them regardless. And there, and there may be other times where I, I may not be feeling anything towards a particular person, whether good or bad. But in these times, I again make the active choice and active decision to love them regardless. I really think that the default for so many people and even many Christians that when they aren't feeling love towards another person, that that it's just passiveness and distance, uninvolvement, not even caring. But this is not the way it should be. In agape love, we make the active choice of the will and the active decision of the will to love all people regardless of what we are feeling or not feeling. As I mentioned towards the beginning of this sermon, we've been commanded by Jesus to show agape love to others and to walk in agape love. But the thing is, feelings cannot be commanded. Feelings are just something that happen in us naturally. So if Jesus has commanded us to love others, that means that it is beyond a feeling. That means that that it's not just feeling-based, that it's an active choice of the will. And in this, we can and we should love others, even if we may not like them, because it's a matter of decision. Um, And and in this as well, just kind of giving you the the, the why, the motive behind it, regardless of what a person may do, or or who who a person is, or, or, or anything like that, they are precious to God, because they are a creation of God. Not all people are children of God. Right? That, that, that title is reserved for Christians. Right? But all people are creations of God. And therefore, all people are precious to God. And someone may not seem precious to you. Right? If they're your neighbor and they're cranking the, uh, the music at like midnight, right? that may not seem precious to you. Right? If someone comes up to you and smacks you upside the, fa- the face, they might not seem precious to you. Right? If someone's pretty like, you know, I mean, you fill in the blank. They might not see, seem precious to you, but they're precious to God, okay? So therefore, make that active choice to love them. The next characteristic of agape love that I want to dive into is this. Agape love is an active love. It's an active love. And what I mean by this is agape love is a lived out love, an expressed love, and a love in action. It's not enough for us to just say that we love people. And it isn't enough for us to just have love for others in our hearts, and that's it. In agape love, we are called to be people who actively show and demonstrate and live out our love for people. Looking at Romans 5, 8 again, God's word says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see here that God did not just have love for us in his heart, and he did not just tell us that he loved us in his word. God clearly showed us and clearly demonstrated to us that he loves us, and that he loves us a lot. 
Jesus left no doubt in our minds that he loves us and he's for us, right? Like, like you look at the life of Jesus and you're like, one thing I do know about this guy is he loves me, right? Like he left no doubt in our minds that he loves us by, by, by what he did, right? So now we as Christians are to go and actively show and actively demonstrate our love to each other, to others as well. To point to this truth in the scriptures again, God's word in 1 John 3, 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I think this is pretty self-explanatory here. So let's be people who love with our actions, just as we are called to do. Displayed and demonstrated. And we see that love is an active verb. Love can be a noun, but it can also be a verb. Uh, in English, the word love is the exact same word in both its noun form and its verb form, right? Like when Jesus, when Jesus says, hey, go love others, right? That's its verb form, right? But a, a lot of what we've been talking about today is I've been even talking about it in its noun form, right? Love, noun, love, verb, right? Um, but as I just mentioned earlier, in the Koine Greek language, the word love is slightly different in its noun form and its verb form. The noun form is the Greek word agape, whereas the verb form is the Greek, Greek word agapeo. Right? You see how those, those words are, are slightly different. And even just the simple fact that agape has a verb form, being agapeo, this shows us and reveals to us and presents to us this idea of, of active love, a lived out love and a love in action. But I want to take that a step, uh, a step further. Agape love is actually found in its verb form more than it is found in its, than it, in its noun form in the New Testament. Right? It, it is found in its verb form more than it is found in its noun form. Right? Agape in its noun form is found about 116 times in the New Testament, whereas agapeo, the verb form, is found about 143 times in the New Testament. So we see from this that agape love is a love in action, not just a love to have in our hearts and not just a love to talk about. And and on all this, I want to share something with you that the Lord spoke to me during this most recent summer. Uh, I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and I got to Luke chapter 6. And uh, I specifically got to the the part in Luke chapter 6 in which Jesus is teaching about agape love. It's the same passage uh, from the Gospel of Luke that I read earlier in this sermon. Um, and honestly, like, because this passage is so rich, I actually want to read it to you again. It's, it's Luke 6, 27 through 36. And then after I read it, I'll share with you what, what the Lord spoke to me uh, this most recent summer. Where Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Um, there's a ton of really good stuff in here, but, but for now, the one specific thing I want to share with you um, is this. And I actually just copied this right out of my 
the margins of my Bible um, from when the Lord was teaching me this. God spoke to me. He said, don't just tolerate, put up with, or coexist with people. Actively love them with agape love. An active love. Actively loving, actively caring, actively acknowledging, actively engaging with, actively listening, actively giving, actively sharing, actively paying attention to, actively embracing, actively doing good to them, actively helping, and actively praying for them. All of that's what he spoke to me. Brothers and sisters, love and tolerance are not the same thing. Love and coexistence are not the same thing. And love and just putting up with people are not the same thing. And I think that so many of us are guilty of reducing this call of agape love down to things like tolerance, coexistence, and just putting up with people. And I was guilty of this. This is why the Lord taught me this and why he convicted my socks off with this. Um, and I've, I've repented of that. I'm continuing to repent of that. And I hope that you will join me in that journey of repentance if this is you too. If this is what the Lord's speaking to you as well. It's an active love, a lived out love, and a love in action. And loving others with agape love doesn't always have to be this extravagant or super crazy thing that you're doing. We should absolutely be open to and willing and ready and even seeking to love in great and extravagant ways but we can also love others with agape love in the day-to-day stuff as well. It's an active love. And one more thing before I leave this point. Um, Actively love the lost by sharing the gospel with them. Considering what is at stake, sharing the gospel with the lost is one of the most loving things that you can do for them. Not just making it cold or distant or transactional, but loving them with the gospel, sharing the gospel with them. So we want to love people, but we don't want to love them all the way to hell. Because if we just love them when we never share the gospel with them, how will they know? We share the gospel with them. The next characteristic of agape love that I want to take a deeper dive into is that agape love is a selfless love. It's a selfless love. Agape love is totally and completely selfless. Totally and completely unselfish. The characteristic of being selfless is by far one of the most important traits any Christian can have or be growing in. In agape love, we are totally and completely others-focused, not self-focused. And not only are we not focused on ourselves, we are actually sacrificially giving of ourselves for the good and the benefit and the welfare of others. In 1 Corinthians 10, 24, God's word says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. All right, so this makes it abundantly clear, right? Completely selfless. Not seeking our own good, but actively seeking the good of others. Right? And our Lord Jesus has given us an amazing example of selflessness that we are to imitate in our lives and in our agape love. In chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, God's word says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." 
have a lot of favorite passages of Scripture, uh, but this one is definitely up there towards the top. Um, and this, this passage has shaped me and formed me in so many ways. This passage starts off with God exhorting us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, to not be selfish at all, but, to, but rather to be totally selfless as we care for others and value others above ourselves and look, at, look to the interests of others above our own. And then the passage goes on to describe the example of selflessness that Jesus set for us. It says that although Jesus was God in the flesh, that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather Jesus selflessly made himself nothing for us, took on the very nature of a servant, although he was the Lord of glory for us, was made in human likeness for us, became the embodiment of our sin for us, and humbled himself all the way down to the point of death for us as he died in our place for our sins. All for our benefit, our good, and our welfare, and our salvation. This is an amazing display of selflessness from Jesus. We are to imitate Jesus in this. And I want to point out from this passage that we are to put others themselves and the needs of others and the interests of others and the benefit of others above ourselves and above that of our own. It's not that we are to put others and their needs and their interests and their benefit on the same level as our own. So I think that, I think like even sometimes when people like walk in this, that's as far as it goes. Same level as mine. That's not what the Bible says. Above yours, right? Or I am last, like Others are first, okay? That's something I want, want to point out, uh, point out to you in this and really, really challenge you in, right? Others above yourself, their needs above yours, their interests above yours, all right? And it's not just our actions and our words that are to be selfless. Our motives behind what we do and what we say are to be selfless as well. God cares just as much about our motives behind why we do certain things and why we say certain things as he does the things that we actually do and actually say. Our motives should be for the good and the advancement of others and of God, not of ourselves. Not the advancement of ourselves, not the promotion of ourselves, not the fame of ourselves, but for the good of others and the benefit of others. And not expecting or demanding anything in return. In, in that Luke 6 passage, Jesus says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That is selflessness. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful selflessly in our motives. And our motives are deep within us. And if this is something that's that's intimidating, challenging for you, I I just encourage you to go and pray. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to move in that place, because he will. I want to take some time to talk to you about the flip side of selflessness for a little bit. The opposite of selflessness, which would be selfishness. In our journey to selflessness, I think it's valuable for us to know the facts about selfishness and what God thinks of selfishness. The first thing is this, selfishness is sin. It's not that selfishness just kind of gets in the way and that we should just try and limit selfishness if we can. Selfishness is sin. Selfishness is serious and we need to repent of it and fight against it. And I want to show you that this isn't just my personal opinion that selfishness is sin, but the Bible clearly speaks of it as being sinful. In Galatians 5, we see that selfish ambition, which is pretty much just another way to say selfishness, is included in with a list of the acts of the flesh all of which are acts of sin. 
In 2 Timothy 3, God is prophesying in his word about how many people or how many people will be living in wickedness in the last days. And as he is describing the wickedness of the people, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in James chapter 3, God's word tells us that selfish ambition is actually demonic. It's James 3, 14 through 16, which says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So it's clear to see from these scriptures that selfishness is sin. And because it's sin, we need to devote ourselves to repenting of it, resisting it, and fighting against it, just as we fight against other sins as well. Selfishness is the attitude of being concerned with one's own interests above the interests of others, which is the exact opposite, like literally the exact opposite of what it says in Philippians 2. Right? Selfishness is, is, is valuing yourself and your interests above those of others. And I want you to see from this that selfishness goes so much against what Jesus has called us to and commanded of us. Um, and, and it's my, my hope, my prayer, that this inspires you to resist it and to put it to death. And I'll sometimes hear people say, you know, I'm, I'm just a selfish person. And they just leave it at that and they stay in their selfishness. But that is a very passive, very defeatist, and even very sinful mindset to have when it comes to this. And when you do that, you're limiting yourself in the kind of real and eternal kingdom impact that your life can have in agape love. Because of, because of sin and because of our sinful nature, guess what? We are all predisposed to be selfish people. We are all selfish people. But we aren't to just passively sit in that. Rather, we're, act, we're to actively and diligently, intentionally fight against it. Fight against the selfish ten- tendencies put our selfishness to death and take up a heart of agape love, selflessness, and humble servanthood. And Jesus speaks into this in Luke 9 when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, guess what? You must deny yourself. Take that selfishness. Take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Selfishness loses again. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The world and our flesh say to promote ourselves. Jesus commands us to deny ourselves and to follow him. Jesus commands us to, to deny ourselves and live our lives like he lived his, which is a life of selfless agape love. And real quick, before I move on, I want to make it clear that selfishness and self-care are different things. Okay. Selfishness and self-care are very different things. And let me say this before I forget. Do not use this to justify your selfishness. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Like, I haven't seen anybody in like a week because I've been watching Netflix for a week. But this is self-care. Like, I need it. Right? It's like, what do you mean? I like... Of course I need a mansion. It's self-care. Of course. Right? No. 
Like, and, and, and I know that some of you are going to, some, some of you are going to use this to justify your selfishness. I know, I know that's true. I can't help that. But to some of you, I am speaking. And I plead with you to not use this to justify your selfishness. Okay? But selfishness and self-care are very different things. In self-care, we're giving ourselves what we need to be present with people so that we can love others well, and so that we can serve others well and be sustainable. So that we can give out of a full cup, giving quality love and care and service to others from a time of self-care. And in this, we are relying on the Lord and really pressing into him to care for us in this, not just seeking these things for ourselves. Okay? So selfishness and self-care were very different things. The last characteristic of agape love that I want to dive into with all of you this morning is that agape love is sacrificial. I touched on this briefly, briefly a little while ago, but I wanted to come back to it um, to really establish this truth. And this is something that we definitely see in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus, and most notably in the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for us. In 1 John 3, 16, God's word says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So right here, this biblical command, this biblical exhortation of, of sacrificial love, just as Jesus sacrificed for us, to us live lives of sacrificial love as well for the good of others. And in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, my, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus says here in this verse that one of the greatest expressions of love is sacrifice. Sacrificially laying down your life for the good of others. And this is what we're called to in the biblical call of agape love. Sacrificing your time, your money, your energy, your schedule, your comfort, your reputation, your security, your possessions, your weekend, your sleep, your own well-being, your dreams, your plans, and maybe even your physical body. And so many people, even so many Christians, have the perspective of giving until it hurts. But in agape love, we give and we serve and we help and we love and we sacrifice even when it hurts and even when it costs us. And agape love considers no cost too great. We need to be willing to go to extremes, to love and to give and to serve and to help, all for the good and the benefit of God and others. And Jesus went to extremes for us and he calls us to do the same. Now the question is, will we? Will we go to extremes? Be willing to go to extremes. Will we pay any cost? Will we sacrifice anything and everything for the good, for the good and the benefit of God and others. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he is the example. He is the model of agape love. And it involves many things. That, that big list I shared with you earlier. To understand what agape love is, we just need to stu- look at him and study him. But these five, these five things, they just, just went over. That agape love is unconditional. Has no barriers, no conditions that it's an intentional choice of the will, regardless of feeling or lack thereof. That it's active, it's a lived out love. That it's selfless and that it's sacrificial. And this kind of life, a selfless life, a sacrificial life, a life of agape love, it's not just for the radical Christians 
were the super devoted Christians or the professional Christians in the world. A life of selflessness, sacrifice, and agape love is to be the norm and the standard for all Christians everywhere. And what we tend to call radical is oftentimes just meant to be what is normal in the life of every Christian. In Luke 17, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told he, because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. When we obey what Jesus has told us to do, that does not make us a special or unique or all-star Christian. That makes us a Christian. When we obey what Jesus has called us to do and commanded us to do, that is just what we were supposed to do in the first place. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is definitely proud of you and he's pleased and he's moved when you do obey him and walk in line with what he's called you to do. But we have to get away from this mindset that if someone is really living out what Jesus has called them to do, that they, are in, that they are some way special or wild or radical or something like that. What we tend to call radical is oftentimes just meant to be what is normal in the life of every Christian. So the full body of Christ is to be obediently active in this. And God loves to work through and partner with the ordinary in this. And, and this is supposed to be a lifestyle thing for us. Not just a here and there type of thing. Not just a sometimes type of thing. Agape love should be an everyday, all throughout the day type of thing for us because it's our lifestyle. Because it's just who we are. In his word, God identifies himself with love. That he does not just choose to love, but that he is love. That should be us too. Right? That we, we don't just choose to love, but our lifestyle is one of so much love that it just, it just identifies us. Wow, that is such a loving person. Right? Really pursuing that. Not just walking in it from time to time. And agape love is an incredibly powerful spiritual weapon. Not to be used against others, but for the good and the benefit of others. And it may not seem like agape love is an incredibly powerful weapon at first, because love by its nature is very lowly and gentle and tender, compassionate, humble, meek. When you think of someone who's super loving, kind, tender, gentle, humble, compassionate, you probably don't think of that person as being very intimidating, right? Like, oh, right? Like, no. Like, those, those are the people you're just like, hey, you know? Um, and that's a good thing. Like, they shouldn't be intimidating. Um, but you know who is intimidated by a Christian who's super loving? Is the spiritual enemy, right? The devil, the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. And they're intimidated because agape love is an incredibly powerful spiritual weapon and it accomplishes so much. And here's just some of what agape love accomplishes and does. It melts hearts of stone. It opens doors and creates opportunities. It reveals the person of Jesus and the heart of Jesus to others. It testifies to the truth of Jesus. It relieves suffering in the world. It restores broken relationships. It preserves friendships. It heals broken hearts. It heals deep wounds mentally and emotionally. It honors God. It pleases God. It glorifies God. It builds trust. It supports, strengthens, and encourages brothers and sisters in Christ. It brings down defensive walls in the human heart. It keeps, it keeps the peace. It keeps relational bridges unburnt. It advances the gospel. It advances the kingdom of God. It satisfies, satisfies fulfills, and brings joy to the heart of the giver. It reconciles relationships and friendships and even more. 
And this list of real things that agape love does and accomplishes is not just a hypothetical or theoretical thing. These are the real things that I personally have seen and that I continue to see on a consistent basis as I walk in agape love. In my evangelism, in my discipleship, in my marriage, with my family, with my coworkers, in other places as well. I see this weekly, daily, the power that this has. And it has such a profound and powerful impact on people because this is what people are looking for. This is what people are searching for and what they want. So when they encounter it, it has such a profound impact on them. And so many people in the world around us are searching for all the right things just in all the wrong places. People are desperately looking for unconditional love, genuine care, a listening ear, compassion, mercy, safety, belonging, security, fulfillment, acceptance, identity, friends, encouragement. And we have the opportunity to, and we have been called to go out there and give these people these things. That's what agape love is. And to ultimately lead them to the, to the source, Jesus himself. And, and could it be that these people are looking for all the right things in all the wrong places because God's people haven't been giving it to them? And leading, and leading them to the one who will fulfill them. The people are looking for love. Will you walk in agape love and give it to them? As I come to a close this morning, this is, a, this is a fork in the road type of thing where there are two paths. There's the path of obedience and agape love and selflessness and of God. And then there's the path of disobedience, selfishness, Worldliness, sin, and passiveness. There is no neutral ground here. The absence of love is the presence of sin. James 4 talks about these sins of omission, that if we know the good we ought to do, and we don't do it, it's sin for us. There's no neutral ground here. The absence of agape love is the presence of sin. So we have the path of obedience or the path of disobedience, the path of love or the path of no love. What will it be for you moving forward? God's overflowing with love for his people and he longs to show it, and to express it through you and through me, to each other and to the world. And as a theory, love isn't worth much. But as an act of practice, it's one of the world's greatest and most powerful treasures. So we can't just talk about this, we have to do it. And now that you're in the kingdom, You're called to live in the kingdom value of agape love. And the question is, will you? Let's pray. God, God, you are love, just as your word says. God, you are perfect love. God, your love restores us. God, your your love casts out fear. God, your love saves us. God, your love frees us. God, your love gives us life. God, your love redeems us. Your love forgives us. Your love holds us. God, your love completes us. God, you complete us, Lord. God, I thank you for how kind you've been to me this morning. And God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, 
that you would move in the hearts and the souls and the minds and the spirits of all of us here. That as we come to this, these paths, that God, we would choose the path of obedience. God, we would choose your path. God, we would choose the path of, of active agape love. Walk in a love that is unconditional. That makes a choice, a decision to love. That is active, that is selfless, that is sacrificial. Even going to extremes. And God, we just pray that you would help us, God. We don't have the capacity to do this on our own, but Holy Spirit, you do. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that we, you would help us to rely on you, to be continually filled by you, Holy Spirit, and to walk in active agape love. Not just the noun, but the verb. And God, that in this, God, we would continue to encounter your love ourselves as we give it to others. God, we love you, but God, thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.